science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Have you ever heard of Valentine's meat juice? What about drinking poop tea? Drinking poop tea? Or weighted sleep masks? And uh, what's the story with coronaviruses? How can you disinfect them? Well, you're going to find out right here on The Dr. Joe Show. I'm Joe Schwartz. When I'm not sitting here chatting with you, I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society, where our mandate is to separate sense from nonsense on the scientific stage and try to make sure that you're up to date on what is happening in the world of science. The coronavirus, very much talked about uh, these days, and of course, justifiably, because it is a scary business. Nobody really knows uh, exactly how it is transmitted, although it is very worrisome that it seems that it can be transmitted before one has symptoms. But one question that also needs to be answered is how long the virus can live outside of the body on some sort of a surface. Unfortunately, the answer right now is that nobody really knows because it has not been studied with this specific virus. <clears throat> However, Coronaviruses are uh, relatively common. I mean, the common cold is a coronavirus. The flu virus is a coronavirus. The term just describes the way that these viruses look under a microscope. They seem to have a crown surrounding them. And we do have information about other coronaviruses and how they can survive or not survive on specific surfaces. And uh, it's very temperature dependent. At temperatures like... 4 degrees centigrade, viruses survive much, much longer than they would at higher temperatures like 30 degrees. How long do they survive? Well, that depends, but it can be anywhere from about two hours to nine days, according to the studies that have been done, because it depends not only on the specificity of the virus, but also on the nature of the surface. The porosity of the surface uh, will determine how long the virus can stay on, on the surface. And as I said, temperature is also a, a variant. What about using chemicals to try to destroy the virus? Uh, kill is really not the right expression to use when it comes to viruses because you can only kill something that was once alive. A virus is never alive. A virus just... Uh, <clears throat> uses uh, a living species such as uh, a bacterium to infect it and then uses that bacterium to uh, propagate itself. But the virus itself is not alive. Nevertheless, its uh, molecules, its components, can be altered in such a way that replication is long, no longer viable. You may have seen uh, trucks spraying a chemical in China. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but uh, I think there's a good bet that what it is is a very dilute uh, uh, version of uh, either hydrogen peroxide or sodium hypochlorite, because these are the chemicals that have been shown in experiments to basically destroy viruses on, on surfaces. The concentration is important. Hydrogen peroxide is effective at a concentration of 0.5%, and the incubation time is about one minute. So when you spray a surface with hydrogen peroxide and leave it on there for a minute, you will, in fact, destroy uh, the virus. 
And it's very possible that the liquid that you see being sprayed in trucks in China is such a solution of hydrogen peroxide. You can also get hydrogen peroxide sprays here. You can get them in pharmacies, and you also get it in many supermarkets. It's very effective, and of course it will eliminate not only viruses but bacteria on surfaces as well. The same can be said for 0.1% sodium hypochlorite. Now, that is a very dilute solution of hypochlorite because what you normally use in your washing machine is about 3%. So you can dilute that very significantly and still have the disinfectant uh, properties. Uh, ethanol also works. Uh, a 60 to 70% uh, ethanol uh, solution reduces the coronavirus um, infectivity on surfaces. And again, the exposure time is only about um, one minute. So there are the ways that you can uh, handle the surfaces. But of course, the most important thing is hand washing. And uh, indeed, uh, there was an interesting study in Taiwan, and it concluded, quote, installing hand wash stations in the emergency department was the only infection control measure which was significantly associated with the protection from healthcare workers for acquiring the SARS uh, virus, which is a, a coronavirus. And the reason that this is so important is because uh, we keep touching our face with our hands. And the virus loves uh, hands because of the moisture there. And, of course, the temperature seems to be just right um, on hands as well for survival of the virus. So washing hands often is uh, is important and also to try to refrain from touching your, your face. However, however, this is a very important however. Right now here in Canada, we have no reason to fear the coronavirus. There's no evidence that it is spreading, uh, although, of course, in many cases, panic has set in and uh, people are, are avoiding anyone who has traveled uh, to Asia. And uh, unfortunately, the quacks have gotten into the game as well. And there are all kinds of things on the web that supposedly one should be doing in order to protect oneself. Uh, none of those are realistic. Uh, you may have come across something called Miracle Mineral Solution. Uh, this is a ridiculous product, uh, and uh, what it is is a bleach that, that you consume, chlorine dioxide. This is a bleach that is very often used in industry to bleach paper and, and uh, fabrics. It should never be consumed. And yet there are numerous websites out there claiming that this is the miraculous way to prevent an infection by the uh, coronavirus. So in Canada right now, there's absolutely no need to, to panic. We don't have any evidence of uh, transmission of, of infection. But uh, obviously, washing hands is very important, not for the coronavirus, but because it prevents the spread of the flu. And the flu uh, in Canada right now is a much more dangerous situation than the uh, coronavirus. <clears throat> the uh, column that I wrote in the uh, paper uh, yesterday <clears throat> talked about light and the importance of sleeping in complete darkness. Why? Because uh, during darkness, uh, a hormone called melatonin is produced by a tiny pea-sized gland in the brain called the pineal gland. <clears throat> also called the Dracula hormone. This is the hormone that helps us sleep. And if there is light in the room at night, even if it is just a little bit, that can sneak in through the eyelids and interfere with sleep. And this is especially case when that light is blue. 
There's accumulating evidence that exposure to blue light is more effective at retarding the formation of melatonin than other uh, wavelengths. And uh, I also mentioned when uh, uh, I finished off this article that a sleeping mask seems to be a good idea with, because it blocks out uh, light. <clears throat> And then I went on to say that uh, I actually have purchased one kind of sleeping mask, which is a weighted sleep mask. And uh, I suggested that there was a reason uh, behind this and that uh, an explanation would be forthcoming. And indeed, I will try to give you that uh, explanation why sleeping with a weighted sleep mask is uh, even more important well, maybe not more important, that's maybe, but uh, more effective possibly than uh, sleeping just with uh, a mask that cuts out all light. And I'll tell you all about that after we check traffic. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Since I know that you like mathematical puzzles, I do have one for you. You can give us a call at 514-790-0800. You can also text me at 514-800, not only for the answer to this, but for any question that you might have or any comment that you might want to, to make. You have a sphere, and you're going to take a pen, and you're going to make three small X's anywhere on that sphere. What is the chance? What is the probability? that those three X's are in the same hemisphere. So you have a sphere, you're gonna take a pen, you're gonna make three small X's on it anywhere. What is the probability that those three X's are in the same hemisphere? If you know the answer to that, you give us a call at 514-790-0800. Now back to my story about the sleeping masks. <clears throat> well, of course the mask will block out uh, light. And uh, that means that it enhances the production of, uh, of melatonin, and it allows us to abide by what we call the circadian rhythm, which is, uh, you know, the normal 24-hour cycle that regulates our sleepiness and uh, alertness. There's something else, though, about the mask. When it fits onto your face, it produces pressure. And this results in something that is referred to as deep pressure stimulation. Of course, depending on just what the mask is made of and how it is uh, weighted. And apparently, this has an effect to relax you. And relaxation is an important condition that the body needs in order to fall asleep. So how does this deep pressure therapy work? Well, it turns out that when you have pressure that's evenly distributed, across the skin. Somehow it sends a signal to uh, to the brain to reduce the fight or flight uh, response. It reduces the levels of adrenaline in the body. It makes you feel more secure. This is uh, seemingly why babies are tightly wrapped in blankets in order to keep them more secure. So this uh, deep pressure uh, somehow just uh, helps relax you, makes you feel calm, and improves your mood. These eye masks uh, will have some sort of beads inside of them to lend them weight. And also at the back, there will be a way to tighten the masks to increase pressure. Uh, I've got one. I've tried it. And, uh, you know, uh, of course, uh, this is a study of N equal 1, which scientifically is meaningless. But... Um, 
I think that it helps me sleep better. But there's a confounding factor, and this is the you know the issue with many scientific studies. Uh, I'm also I've also been using uh, melatonin spray, and uh, I find that that uh, I think works. You you spray that just under the uh, under the tongue. So uh, I've been trying to tease out the information. I, I've tried just the melatonin spray. I've tried just the sleep mask. Uh, I'd say that at this point. Uh, both of them seem to help with sleep. I can't say that the combination is better than each one individually, but I'm going to keep experimenting. But of course, no matter how much experimenting I do, uh, it still is a study of n equal one. So it just comes up with some anecdotal evidence. But uh, you know, if uh, if it allows me to sleep better, I don't care if it's just anecdotal. Okay, I also tantalized you with Valentine's meat juice. Valentine's meat juice, believe it or not, was uh, a remedy way back in the 1800s. And it had nothing to do with Valentine's Day. It had to do with the inventor, who was a gentleman by the name of Man Valentine, M-A-N-N, Valentine. And it seems that a family member uh, who, uh, to, according to many accounts, seems to have been his wife, was... Uh, uh, in a situation where she had digestive and uh, being an inventor, he decided that he was going to try to do something about it. So he came up with this idea of taking meat and applying pressure to the meat and squeezing out the juice and uh, trying this as a remedy. Well, it wasn't tried in the orthodox fashion that one would think of uh, using it orally. Believe it or not, it was introduced in uh, a more interesting fashion. It was introduced as an enema. And according to the instructions, the standard dose was uh, half a teaspoon to two teaspoons diluted in water. Uh, then you would make an enema out of this and introduce it per rectum. One tablespoon... Uh, had to be sterilized because uh, even in those days they knew that it probably wasn't a good idea to introduce bacteria. And uh, this would then be uh, introduced and uh, there was anecdotal evidence that it had some benefit. Whether or not it really did, uh, no one actually studied this, uh, I, or at least I can't find any studies that uh, investigated this. But it's interesting uh, historically. Valentine's preparation meat juice is what it was called and uh, there are some uh, bottles that are available uh, that you can buy on the web i don't think that they have any of the product in them uh, it's just the empty bottles sold for historical import and uh, i may just get myself one of these because i like to collect these kind of uh, strange concoctions and uh, valentine's meat juice used per rectum certainly falls into the category of uh, being an interesting uh, concoction. I also told you that uh, I'll tell you a little bit about drinking uh, another very, very strange concoction, and that is poop tea. And this is a story that comes to us from China. As you probably know, the Chinese are into all kinds of traditional medicine. Uh, although uh, most of the medicine that is practiced in China is uh, conventional modern medicine. But, of course, when you have uh, 12 
billion people. Many of them live outside of the big cities, and uh, they do use uh, remedies that uh, fall into the category of traditional Chinese uh, remedies. And one of these, believe it or not, is poop tea. Now, this is not in the same vein that you may have heard of uh, uh, in, in North America, where uh, various kind of, of properly prepared extracts of, of, of fecal matter are uh, introduced into the body for people who have uh, digestive problems, uh, people who have uh, colitis or, or, or Crohn's disease or various kinds of infections. Uh, uh, and uh, although this um, at one point looked like it was going to turn out to be favorable, uh, the, the practice has been stopped because uh, there were all kinds of complications. No, in this case, we're not talking about uh, about that, about introducing uh, rectally any kind of uh, fecal matter. We actually are talking about drinking, believe it or not, poop tea. But it is not made from the uh, poop of, of humans. It is made from the poop of, of animals. And the comes with a very interesting story. Of course, the story is anecdotal, but nevertheless, uh, I will tell you, because uh, who knows whether or not there may eventually be something in this. There certainly are strange things that have happened in the history of medicine. Uh, at one time, you know, nobody believed the idea that ulcers were caused by a bacterium and that they could be treated with antibiotics. Uh, nobody knew that there were active components in certain plants, you know, until these things were tested. So uh, I will tell you a little bit about drinking poop tea in a Chinese village and the villagers who swear by it. But we're going to take a break. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Let me repeat my little quiz. You have a sphere, a globe, and you take a pencil or a pen and you put three little X's anywhere on that sphere. What is the probability that those three X's are in the same hemisphere? If you know that, you give us a call at 514-790-0800. All right, but right now we're going to take a trip to China. Oh, no, we're not going there for real. This is not the time to do that. We're just going there in our imagination. 77-year-old Ma Su Kun was diagnosed with lung cancer. And her family decided not to tell her the diagnosis. This is uh, quite common in China, where they think that if you tell someone the bad news, it is going to precipitate their end. And uh, there is actually, you know, something to be said for that. But so anyway, they waited not to tell her and then eventually decided that there really wasn't any need to tell her because she wasn't getting any worse. In fact, she seemed to be quite fine. Turned out that uh, Madame Kuhn had made a recovery. Uh, now, of course, what we don't know is whether or not that diagnosis was really legitimate or, you know, how it came about. So again, you know, we're talking anecdote here. But she claimed that uh, she had been drinking poop tea. She lives in a small village in uh, rural China, which is quite a distance from um, any large cities. And in places like this, people stick to traditional remedies. And one of these is the poop remedy, which has to be fresh. And it's a mixture of goat and bovine poop. And it's collected on the hills uh, in the village. And then it is dried in the sun. Uh, after it is dried, uh, it is baked in the oven to make sure that it's really dry. And then uh, it's ground into a fine powder. And apparently you can store this. 
when it comes to using it, you take the powder and you put it out onto a white cloth, and then you twist that cloth to shape it into a little bag, basically like a tea bag, and then you dip this in boiling water. And uh, as one might expect, the water will become somewhat brown, and then you sip it. And this is a remedy that supposedly cures whatever ails you. We look at this and, of course, we say, you know, what kind of bunk is this? This is really a lot of uh, BS. But, you know, on second thought, you can't totally dismiss it because it is possible that the animals are eating some kind of plant or some kind of herb in the, in the area, and some of that makes its way through their feces, which has some kind of therapeutic property. I know that is stretching things a little bit, uh, but uh, it's not, not impossible because remember that there's a, a plant in China from which a chemical called artemisinin is extracted, and this is used in the treatment of malaria. And uh, this was also found in an accidental fashion. Now, of course, most of these traditional Chinese remedies probably have no substance to them. There's all kinds of things out there, like being stung by bees, eating live ants, or, or uh, uh, eating virgin boy eggs. Now, that's not quite as bad as what you might think. These are eggs that are, are boiled in the urine of young boys who are virgins. Well, I guess maybe it is as bad as what you, you thought. And this is supposed to prevent heat stroke. So they're all these kind of remedies. Uh, most of them are undoubtedly nonsensical. But you never know where, you know, one of them might be sort of a diamond in the rough. I don't think that it is quite justified to do a double-blind, randomized controlled trial on, on drinking poop tea. Uh, we need some more evidence before we do that. And also, I think one would have a very hard time getting uh, volunteers because, as I gather from a reporter who uh, found this story, uh, she actually did indulge in this and uh, was not favorably impressed by the smell or the flavor of, uh, of the tea, even though it did have a lot of sugar uh, blended uh, into it. She said it was like sticking your head into a toilet and inhaling through your mouth. I don't think that that sounds very uh, appetizing. But anyway, there is the story of uh, Chinese uh, poop tea. I'm still looking for an answer to my question. It's a mathematical puzzle. You have a sphere. You put uh, four marks anywhere, or sorry, three marks anywhere on the sphere. And the question is, what is the probability that those three marks are going to be in the same hemisphere, the same hemisphere? You know, when you go out and spend your money at a store, the cost may be more than just what you see on the cash register receipt. Why? Because according to some researchers, there may be a cost to our health. And that's because handling the receipt transfers a chemical that is known to have hormone disruptive properties. And this transfers to the skin and from there possibly into the bloodstream. What is that chemical? It is bisphenol A, commonly abbreviated as BPA. It's an interesting name. The reason that it's called bisphenol A, because when you produce it synthetically, and it is produced on a very large scale commercially, 
it requires two molecules of phenol, hence the term bisphenol, and one of acetone, and that's where the A comes from. So bisphenol A is made commercially by reacting phenol with acetone, hence the name bisphenol A. I'm talking about this now because it is also coded onto paper that is used in uh, cash registers these days. This is this so-called thermal paper. And almost all cash registers now produce this, uh, this kind of paper. And a number of studies have shown that some bisphenol A is transferred to the skin when thermal paper is handled. And this is done by having people handle the paper and then extracting their skin with a solvent such as ethanol and then testing the ethanol for bisphenol A content. Such studies have clearly shown that some of the chemical is transferred and that the transfer is significantly enhanced if previously a sanitizer or a moisturizing cream has been applied to the hands. Following the handling of receipts, the concentration of bisphenol A in the blood and in the urine can also be tested. The amount that shows up in the blood is more uh, when it is compared to what one would get by consuming the equivalent amount of BPA. And that is because when you ingest it by mouth, it passes through the liver and it's metabolized and the metabolites are secreted in the urine. However, when it is when it is imported through the skin, that is transdermal passage, that does not lead to immediate passage uh, through the liver. So it is more active in the bloodstream. There's also the issue that when BPA is transferred to the fingers, it can be further transferred onto other substances that are handled, such as food. In one study, eating french fries after handling cash receipt paper resulted in higher blood levels of BPA than after eating the fries with hands that had not touched the paper. Of course, one cannot equate the finding of a chemical in the blood or in the urine with the presence of risk. Indeed, high urinary levels may mean that the chemical is being excreted. However, some researchers maintain that the levels found after handling thermal paper which is around 2 nanograms per milliliter uh, in the urine, are comparable to those that in epidemiological studies have been associated with health effects such as obesity, miscarriage, reduced libido, impaired sperm quality, and altered immune response, also problems with thyroid, liver, and kidney function. But these studies are associations and cannot prove a cause and effect relationship. For example, diet can influence both the amount of BPA ingested, since it is found in many canned foods, and the rate at which it is excreted in the urine. So uh, people may have a higher urinary level of BPA, but that may just be a marker for a different diet or a different level of hygiene. Nevertheless, I think it is advisable to, if possible, reduce our exposure to BPA. And uh, for cashiers, pretty good idea to wear gloves because they, are, of course, are handling these receipts all the time, which is a very different story from most of us occasionally picking up such a receipt. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Let me crow a little bit because uh, I think... Uh, my office now has something to crow about. Uh, within the last two weeks, we passed the 10,000 mark on subscriptions to our newsletter, which comes out every Saturday at 6 a.m., and it's a blend of uh, 
strong science information with uh, some whimsy and some uh, entertainment value as well. And 10,000 is pretty much of a landmark in this area, and hopefully it will take off even further from there. For those of you who are not yet subscribers, it is, of course, free. Uh, all you have to do is go to our website, www.mcgill, that's M-C-G-I-L-L dot C-A, slash O-S-S for Office for Science and Society. So it's mcgill.ca slash OSS. And you can sign up for the newsletter. And also, you can get information about a, a play that we are co-sponsoring, which takes place in two weeks, February 29th. The play is called Seeds. Some of you may have seen it when it was first in Montreal at the... Uh, at the Centaur, and it is the story of Percy Schmeiser, the Saskatchewan farmer who was taken to task, in fact, taken to court by Monsanto for stealing, so Monsanto claimed, genetically modified seed. So it is a, a fascinating play, and uh, it presents uh, the uh, picture of, of uh, what genetic modification is all about. It doesn't really take sides. Uh, I saw it. It's fascinating, which is the reason that we agreed to co-sponsor this. And um, one performance in Montreal. After that, uh, it is going to the States on a nationwide tour. So this is your one chance in Montreal to see Seeds. And if you want to know how to get tickets, uh, you can go to our website, again, www.mcgill.ca slash OSS, and there's info there as well as info about our newsletter. All right. So I had the question about the sphere and putting three X's on it. What is the probability that they will be in the same hemisphere? And let's see if Angelo has the answer. Angelo. Yes. Hi, Dr. Short. Hi. Uh, I would say 100%. And why would you say that? Because when you put two two dots, the first two, if if you go maximum at halfway point, then automatically the third one will become the same hemisphere. Uh, hemisphere, and if you put it closer, then you just change the other dots. Very good. You're absolutely right. It's a hundred percent. It's a certainty that they will be in the same hemisphere. So just picture this. Uh, suppose you put those two X's as far apart from each other as they can possibly be. That means that, that you uh, will dissect the uh, sphere. So you have the hemisphere. There's no way that they can be any further apart right, than, than the diameter of the sphere. And then it doesn't matter where you put the third one. It will be in one of the, those two hemispheres. That's right. Very good. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty good puzzle. And uh, yeah, very clever that you uh, came up with that. Thanks for that. Okay. Strange things out there. You ever heard of sperm face masks? What a story this is. And uh, it comes to us uh, from England. And it was popularized by... Uh, a lady, 67-year-old, uh, who seems to have flawless skin. And she claims it is because she uses a sperm face mask. Well, it is just what the name implies. You collect this secretion and you apply it to the face and you get a semen facial. Um, she doesn't seem to be the only person doing this. In fact, there are some celebrities. Uh, apparently, Heather Locklear uh, revealed in an interview that uh, she's a fan of this uh, particular uh, procedure. And uh, they don't go into 
excruciating detail, mercifully, about how this is done. But we get the basic idea. You have to collect the product somehow, and uh, which isn't all that difficult. But apparently, it does has it has to be the human version, and then you spread it on the face. And they claim that it has rejuvenating properties. Uh, interestingly enough, when uh, a dermatologist uh, was consulted uh, on this. He didn't poo-poo it right away because he said that uh, semen does contain a variety of enzymes, some of which are proteolytic, means that they break down proteins. And uh, in theory, if this is applied to the skin, the enzymes can break down the skin, which is a protein, and uh, get rid of the you know uneven and thickened uh, dead layer of uh, cells on, on the surface, the, like the sun-damaged uh, cells. And that could make the skin feel smoother. And so he said that there is this uh, rather far-fetched possibility, but he also said that uh, it has to be applied very regularly and it has to be very fresh because otherwise the enzymes do not survive. Well, again, here's a situation where I don't think that anyone has done uh, any randomized clinical trials uh, on this. But of course, semen is a very complex chemical entity, and uh, it is possible that it contains some substances that have proteolytic uh, uh, properties. Uh, of course, it is also very likely that it just acts as a moisturizing agent because you just cover the skin with uh, any uh, fatty substance, anything that has some fats uh, in it, and you will prevent moisture in the skin from, uh, you know, evaporating. Uh, basically, that is the technology behind uh, uh, moisturizing creams. Uh, but uh, I don't think that we have enough evidence to suggest that anyone should go out and, and try this. Although, interestingly enough, uh, the, the report of this rather strange procedure ends... Uh, with the quip, uh, whether sperm facials are effective or not, at least there is some peripheral benefit to be gained from collecting the raw material. So there's some humor in there uh, as well. Uh, polyethylene is a, a plastic that is very, very widely used. Uh, this is the stuff that is used in um, the shopping bags. Uh, shopping bags are, are, are made of uh, low-density polyethylene. Uh, polyethylene itself uh, uh, is made from ethylene, as the name implies. And uh, ethylene comes from natural gas or from petroleum. And it comes from uh, one component called ethane. And when ethane is broken down, the term that is used is cracked. When ethane is cracked, it forms ethylene. And ethylene can be made into polyethylene. And polyethylene, of course, has, has numerous uh, uses. And uh, one of the interesting uh, uses, which has saved many, 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 many lives, and one wouldn't think of this, that uh, polyethylene is uh, connected with saving lives, but it is, what I'm talking about is its use in making uh, protective uh, helmets. These are the helmets that are worn by uh, construction workers. You see them all over the place. And uh, polyethylene is not the hardest material. Uh, polycarbonate would be a tougher material. But polyethylene is much cheaper, and it is um, hard enough. And it is estimated that uh, the hard hat has saved numerous lives since it was uh, first introduced and was first introduced in the late 1930s. And uh, the reason that it was first uh, uh, introduced, of course, because things were so falling on uh, heads of construction uh, workers. 
And uh, the very first one actually was made of aluminum, but this had to be redesigned because aluminum conducts electricity and sometimes wires would fall on people's heads, and that was not good if you were wearing an aluminum helmet. And uh, polyethylene does not conduct electricity, and therefore it is great for a hard hat. So next time you're putting on your hard hat, give thanks to polyethylene. And that is it. We have run smack out of time. But we'll be back with you same time, same station next week. I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping that all of the chemistry in your life comes out just right.